Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Field Days, an award-winning podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your almost witty hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by the department spokesperson, Chris Gouts. Chris, we have a... Um, a very, to me, a very interesting topic to talk about today. Uh, we don't typically talk about, you know, other than we're talking about opioids, we don't talk about K2 or specific drugs that are, um, I guess, not the not the usual drugs that we're, we're used to hearing about. But we're going to talk about K2 today, right? Yeah, it's been a topic that, that's come up quite a bit um, and is the reason for some some changes we've made in policy. And we thought uh, we should have uh, an old pro of the podcast to come right. back on and uh, talk to us about all, about all that. I think we call those friends of the pods, don't we? Friend of the pods. Right. Yeah, so we do. We have, we, have a, we have a big friend of the pod on today, and that is Dr. Carmen McIntyre, who, who has been on previously on Field Days to talk about uh, medication-assisted treatment and, and opioid use disorders and um, everything around you know the opioid epidemic that the nation, the world is facing. This, this was all obviously pre-coronavirus and COVID-19. But so yeah, Dr. McIntyre, welcome back to Field Days. We appreciate you coming on again. Thank you for having me. And I'm not that old. <laughs> 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 oh, that's funny. So why don't you just refresh the audience about you and kind of uh, what you do for the department? So I'm the chief medical officer for the department. Easy enough. And so let, I guess let's let's get into the discussion. Let's, uh, first of all, I know Chris has no idea what K2 is. So let, let's explain to Chris what K2 even is. K2, technically it is, uh, it's a group of drugs or chemicals or compounds that are called synthetic cannabinoids. So all that means is that they are man-made chemicals and that they were originally synthesized to act in ways that are uh, similar to um, marijuana. Okay. Well, I mean, that, that's a, so is, is this, marijuana is legal, obviously, in certain amounts. Is, is K2 legal? That's a good question. So K2 was originally known um, as spice, and it was developed in France by a, um, a pharmaceutical manufacturer as, you know, a, a synthetic analog or a synthetic alternative to marijuana. Then other names, you know, so it was branded. Spice was literally a brand name. And then you have other brand names like K2, Chronic, Kush, things like AK-47, Black Mamba, Scooby Snacks, Mr. Happy, and on and on and on. So originally in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, there were drug companies that were manufacturing or synthesizing these chemicals, primarily looking at ways to treat pain. And so we call the class of medications that treat pain analgesics. So, for example, there was a researcher out of Clemson University down south. His name was John W. Huffman, and he was looking at these kind of molecules. And so, and, you know, like if I were to develop a new medication, then it gets your initials. Plus this was my, you know, 80 seconds try. So it'd be like CMM082. So um, Huffman had a, a molecule called JWH018. So back then, these various molecules or these various compounds, they were all legal. But then people started finding problems with them. So in 2010, the DEA banned seven different synthetic cannabinoids um, because of problems that they were causing. Then in 2012, they expanded it by a couple more products. 
And here in Michigan, you know, we had our own issue that in 2012, unfortunately, a young man by the name of Cipriano, uh, Tucker Cipriano, and his friend Michael Young terribly beat his father, mother, and brother, resulting in the death of the father and permanent disability of his brother, Sal, um, while high on K2 as well as alcohol and some other things. So effective in 2013, Michigan added additional synthetic cannabinoids to the banned substances. The problem is, though, that, you know, these are things that are synthesized. So if you say something that has chemical structure X, you know, what is branded as K2 is now banned, you know, these homegrown chemists can simply slightly change the molecular compound to create an all-new substance that's not on your banned list. Obviously, it would make it tough to <laughs> to keep it banned. And so, um, I, I mean, I remember K2 a long time ago, too, when you talked about it in the late 90s and 2000s. You know, I, I haven't heard about K2 in, in years, because I mainly because of the opioid crisis and everything going on around that. So it was a shock to me, you know, when Chris and you and Joelle said, it's, let's do a podcast on K2. I was thinking, really? This is, you know, really interesting. So so what you're saying is it never really went away, one, or is it a, is that a comeback? Is it which Where are we at right now? It's both. It's both. So number one, synthetic cannabinoids never really went away because people just kept switching up the formula. Number two, um, if you take a look at kind of the history of, you know, the rise and fall of different classes of drugs, it seems that at least in the United States, you know, we've had other periods of time where we had a rise of opioids, especially like in the in the 70s. And then opioid use goes down as stimulants go up. And so then, you know, of course, we're all familiar with cocaine and crack from the 80s. And then that kind of waned and we had opioids kind of come up again. And then that waned and then we had meth and, you know, the methamphetamine and whatnot. And so now we're we've actually peaked in our opioid, you know, crisis and that's coming down. And so it's time for stimulants <laughs> to be on the rise again. And so this time around, the synthetic cannabinoids are, are making a resurgence and things like, you know, newer drugs like Molly actually have synthetic cannabinoids in them along with other things. Okay, that makes sense. So obviously, this this is becoming an issue inside of our prisons across the state. So first of all, let's talk about how, how is it coming inside of our facilities? Do, you know, do we know? Yeah, so the thing about K2 is that it is a liquid. You know, when it was first being marketed as spice and K2, they were spraying shredded plant material with the K2, and then, you know, you would smoke it. But you can also spray the liquid on paper and let it dry, and then, you know, people put the paper in their mouth and absorb it. So that's essentially the way that this is coming in. Is you can spray it on the pages of a book, for example, and then somebody orders a book supposedly from, you know, approved vendor, and you get this nice little Amazon package. Hey, I just, I just ordered a copy of the Bible, but it's actually been adulterated, and all the pages are sprayed with K2. So to help facility staff, you know, what kind of effects does this have uh, on the prisoner? So if, if uh, custody staff or non-custody is, is seeing prisoners kind of act strangely, what kind of things or telltale signs might they be looking for to see that someone is, uh, is on K2? That's the hard part, because somebody asked me today, why would anybody take it with all the bad things that they've heard about K2? And for the most part, nobody's trying to go on, you know, a murderous rampage <laughs> because people hear that it is, you know, from before um, marijuana was legalized, people heard this was legal marijuana and this was over the counter, so to speak, marijuana. And so I think people are expecting 
to get the same effects from these synthetics that they would get from marijuana. And most people are using marijuana because they're hoping it's going to chill them out, it's going to relax them, it's going to take away their anxiety, it's going to take away pain, it's going to take away nausea, those kind of things. So that's what people are expecting. And some people might actually get that when they take one of these synthetics. The problem with these synthetics is that you never know what you're getting. You don't know who cooked it up. You know, like if Chris cooked it up and maybe, you know, he's... His formula makes people more hyper and maybe Greg's formula, you know, makes people more sleepy. It's being cut with other things, too. So the the scary things that we're seeing that are differentiating these synthetics from marijuana are things like agitation and irritability, right? So people were trying to get calm and chilled out, and instead they're getting agitated and irritable. People are actually having seizures with this stuff. And then the seizures, they can start causing muscle breakdown, which then shuts down your kidneys. Instead of just kind of the the sleepiness and, and you know, maybe kind of walking like your stone that, you know, you might get with marijuana, People, when you're talking to them, are actually, you know, very confused, unable to um, concentrate. And then that can kind of progress, that people will start having um, hallucinations, they'll have delusions, they might start acting very violently. And some of the kind of medical emergencies that we get from it, as I said, if, if your seizures are intractable, so you're constantly having seizures, then muscles start breaking down and your kidneys can shut down. But you also see elevated blood pressure with marijuana, but it's much more common with these synthetics, rapid heart rates. And so that's leading people to have strokes um, and heart attacks. I think the things also for people um, to look for that I'm, I'm reading in a lot of the reports of suspected K2 overdoses in our facilities is people are having a lot of vomiting and a lot of difficulty breathing, which is not typical with marijuana. And and just to be clear, it's not Greg's formula that makes people sleepy. It's when he talks on a podcast. So so that's a clear difference. But going back to what you said about, you know, making bad batches and and having these different formulas, we we just had an incident recently, right, at at MTU where the belief was that that a bad batch of K2 got in, and I think about a dozen prisoners got pretty sick. And and what we uh, learned from that was we we found some paper, uh, and we think that they were just ingesting this paper. And did several have to go to the hospital? I mean, it got pretty serious, didn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we did have quite a few folks that went out to the to the emergency department to get checked out. And so we talk about bad batches. So we have these chemicals that we know are are synthesizing. And if we want them to act like THC or like marijuana, then we would be targeting our, our, our bodies, not just our brains, but our bodies actually have natural cannabinoid receptors. And we have two different kinds, CB1 and CB2. We don't totally really know what they do yet, but it seems like together the two types of receptors work on what's called homeostasis or maintaining a balance in our system. So it's a balance between, you know, being hungry and being satisfied. It's a balance between being asleep and being awake. It's a balance between feeling pain that you should feel so that you, you know, you attend to a problem and you you slow things down and, you know, excess pain. It's a balance between kind of like nausea from foods that are potentially toxic. So it seems like that's what they're involved in, that balance, you know, even a balance with like our pancreas and, and diabetes. It's a balancing between insulin and, and glucose um, utilization. And so part of the problem with some of these synthetics is that they are either binding to just one receptor and not the other, and so things get thrown off balance, 
or that they're binding so much more potently, like 10 times the binding strength of the um, THC and for much longer. And so that's what's kind of throwing the system out of whack. But then the other thing is that sometimes they're being, as I said, cut or enhanced, you could say, with other synthetics. And these synthetics are synthetic stimulants. So synthetics for or, or substitutions for amphetamines and cocaine, um, like with the molly, which is a synthetic for, or I guess a new version for ecstasy. And so cutting it with these synthetics is part of the reason why people are having these huge shifts in blood pressure and, and heart rates and having the, the strokes and whatnot. Well, I'm not as familiar with CB1 or CB2, but CB4 was actually Greg's favorite Chris Rock movie of all time. So just in case people are wondering uh, about that. Um, you're on fire today, by the way. On fire. <laughs> but but I, I, did, I was curious in terms of staff, you know, obviously staff are doing, custody staff are doing, you know, searches on prisoners and in, in their, their areas of control. But if staff were to come upon this and, and accidentally picked up a piece of paper that was soaked in it, is there a danger to staff? Is it like some of those drugs where, if, you know, if you touch it, you can have a real serious reaction? How, how worried should they be if they accidentally come upon it? Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, there's a reason why folks that are working in the mailroom should have gloves on. And when you are doing searches of prisoner, their person or their property, you should definitely be wearing gloves because these are things that stuff has been sprayed on this paper. If it's gotten wet, if your your hands are a little bit sweaty or whatever, then yes, you could, you could potentially um, absorb some of this. Do you think that the the change in our mail policy that that's now in the mailroom is making copies of everything that's coming in rather than the actual physical documents coming in? Do you think that's going to have a big impact on, on slowing this down or possibly, you know, ending us seeing K2 inside? Absolutely. If one of the first things that you do is you try to target the source, there's always the supply and the demand. So if you're decreasing the supply, it'll decrease these incidents of overdose. And very technically, overdose means that your body has taken in more of a drug than it can appropriately manage, handle, metabolize, etc. So I, I, I do think when people say these are overdoses of K2, that that's a legitimate use of the terminology. But I, I, I caution folks because we don't know that there's any safe amount of this K2. Like if you just took one little corner of the page and sucked on that, that that would be safe because the, these these drugs are so unpredictable and, and you don't know from day one to day two what you're getting. And then obviously the, the soaked paper is what we've been talking a lot about. Are, are there other forms of it that, that, that staff should be on the lookout for rather than just a paper that maybe looks a little funny? I think it would be harder to get some other forms in than the, the paper that's soaked what was popular for a long time and you know you can get it at the 7-Eleven you could get it in your your gas stations and whatnot was what would look kind of like potpourri so you know shredded plant material that has been that the K2 has been sprayed on those and so and then people would smoke that so those are usually the two typical ways it's so potent that it's unlikely that people would be taking vials of it although I think there have been, there's been contraband and there's been vials of a liquid and it's suspected that it was K2. Sure. So, no, I, I really appreciate that. And I think this has been really good information for our staff to see in here because, you know, we have seen an, uh, an uptick in it. Hopefully that will go down with this new mail policy, but there still could be a lot of it floating out there. So we want to make sure the staff are on the lookout for it and know what to expect and know how to safely interact with it and be, be around it. So uh, what, what about healthcare staff? What, uh, what advice do you have for them in terms of handling it and, and being around prisoners uh, that are experiencing this? A couple of things. As with any drug, you have signs of, of current intoxication 
and you have withdrawal. And so people typically with with marijuana, for example, you don't expect withdrawal symptoms. But people who are using K2, um, either heavy use or over a long period of time, can actually have a lot of symptoms that are very similar to like the overdose or the intoxication symptoms. So when you see somebody with things like headache, nausea, vomiting, anxiety, sweating, insomnia, breathing problems, chest pain, you know, um, palpitations or seizures, of course, you know, you're going to be thinking of the usual, is this, uh, is this a stroke? Is this a heart attack? Is this, you know, whatever. And you want to, you want to make sure that you're addressing that, but keep in the back of your head that um, long-term K2 use or, or recent intoxication with, with K2 might've been the source of that. And it's, it's tricky for healthcare because frequently you'll get a rush of the, of these kind of symptoms and side effects and then they go away. And so we've had some problems with emergency departments that say, you know, why are you sending them to us? They got to us. Their vital signs were fine. They didn't need oxygen. So I think the, the important things to know is there's no specific treatment for K2 like there is, let's say, for opioids. Instead, we do have supportive treatment when people are compromised. So if you think that someone needs oxygen or that they need their air, airway protected, as people with intractable seizures do, then they should go to the emergency department. People could benefit from antiemetics, so something to stop them from throwing up so that they're not tearing their esophagus and they're not losing all their electrolytes, giving IV fluids if necessary, and then typically IV medications for the seizures or for the agitation, which is going to be IV benzodiazepines. And those are all things that typically are better done in an emergency department than they are in one of our facilities. So I've heard some people say, don't bother sending folks out to the emergency room because they can't do anything about it. Well, they can support the person through the symptoms. Very, very helpful information, especially to, to the healthcare staff who, who have to deal with this on, on, a, on a routine basis. So I, I appreciate you sharing that information because our healthcare staff are super important to the overall operations of our facilities. So Dr. McIntyre, I know you were on previously, and I would kind of, I know we want to get you out of here, I want to wrap this up, but you were on previously talking about opioid use disorders and medication-assisted treatment, what we we're going to do inside our prisons for pilots. So can you kind of um, talk to us where we're at with the MAP pilot and where we're looking to go in the future? Absolutely. In this month, October, we kicked off the um, pilots at DRF and STF. We had expected to kick those off middle of March, and, you know, we all know what happened in the middle of March. So we did retraining with the facilities on our protocols and whatnot and started those pilots this month. We're doing regular coaching with the facilities and we've started kind of like a call a friend for the providers that if the, when they do start getting cases that they want to do the induction of buprenorphine or if they want to use Vivitrol or something like that, that they can call me or they can call our consultant, Scott Haga, to help them get started on that. The next stage will be that our, you know, two sides that are doing the most intake. So at RGC and at Women's Huron Valley, we'll then bring them into the pilot. And once we've kind of ironed out all the kinks in the process, then we'll be launching it across our entire system. Yeah, this is a... I mean, I, I, again, I could talk to you about Matt, all this stuff for another hour, uh, but I think this is super important. I'm glad that we started it. And I, I think this opioid epidemic was is a huge issue. And it's not like it didn't happen inside of our facilities. People go into prisons addicted to opioids and they struggle. So I think this is a wonderful pilot. I can't wait to see some of the results that come out of this and where we go in the future. And listen, Dr. McIntyre, Chris and I can't thank you enough for taking time to come on Field Days today and talk about good information to share about what's going on inside our facilities, um, what we're seeing, how we're combating it, 
um, what healthcare staff can do and, and, and prison staff can do um, to recognize it. So we appreciate what you do on a daily basis outside of this, this podcast, this interview. Appreciate you coming on, taking time to talk about K2, kind of just sharing information with our staff. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Anytime. All right, Chris, you know, I find that stuff very interesting to learn about synthetics and all that stuff around drugs and what's going what's going on. And number one, in the community, you know, there's a lot of addiction that we're dealing with in the communities on a daily basis. And agents do an awesome job, an awesome job at helping people work through their addictions. And it's no different in prisons, obviously, as, as we've learned with Dr. McIntyre in the last two podcasts with opioids and now K2 you know, being an issue inside the prison. So it's always good to have her on and learn. I learned quite a bit. I don't know about you. You probably know about all about drugs. I don't know, Chris, but thought it was really good. I think really informative. You know, that's why, you know, we started these podcasts, you know, years ago now. It seems very old to say. Uh, but but the point was is to be able to share information for all of our staff so that everyone can hear what's going on, you know, pick up ideas from one part of the state to another or one facility to another or one field office to another. So uh, when we have something like this that, that affects a lot of people, I think obviously the facility staff are going to learn a lot. But I think, you know, the field staff as well, you know, if, if they come across someone now that they're doing a lot of obviously doing a ton of home calls and they're around uh, people a lot more and out, out in the communities, you know, something to just be aware of because it's not just happening in our facilities in a vacuum. It's happening uh, elsewhere in the community as well. Yeah. And Chris, you know, on a, on a different topic away from illegal drug use. Next week is a uh, very, very big week for the country. I- I'm sure you're going to get out and vote next Tuesday, right? Yeah, well, yes. Uh, I forget your nickname is King of Transitions because that was really well done. Uh, yes, next week is uh, Election Day, so no- everybody needs to make sure they go out and vote on November 3rd. If people are looking for information about that, certainly the best place to go is uh, the Michigan Secretary of State's website where you can find information about uh, you know when your polling sites are open, where your clerk's offices are, where where you can drop ballots off at, and all those kind of all that information that you need to know about voting in person, voting uh, absentee, uh, all those kind of things. So uh, make sure you make yourself aware of that. Make sure you're a good, well-informed voter on the process, uh, and then make sure that your vote is cast by November 3rd. Well, Chris, if, I, if I'm anything, I, I know how to transition on a podcast, but here's another, here's another transition. Are you ready? You know, I know the pandemic has, has been an issue for quite a few months now. We have people working remote. We have facilities that have outbreaks. And what's the latest on Marquette? The facility there has just done an amazing job through what's been an incredibly difficult situation. The staff there have just been phenomenal. And all of our volunteers from around the state who raised their hands and and ran towards the facility and wanted to go in there and work, knowing just how prevalent the virus was there. Almost all of the prisoners there have tested positive now, but the great sign is that the vast majority of them now are in step-down status, meaning they're no longer infectious. There is still a lot of staff that are uh, off uh, work as, as of Monday, 115 staff were still out and about 57 of those are officers, which is why having ERT there and having all those volunteers has just been so crucial and so critical. So a huge thank you to not only the staff that are still there, but but also to all the volunteers who chose to uh, to go to the facility. That's just been uh, crucial in our ability to maintain public safety there. Just a big thank you to all of the staff there. Warden Huss and her team have just done an incredible job and uh, big kudos to them because this has been very difficult on them, on the staff and on the prisoners. Uh, thankfully, the prisoners are doing very well, uh, as well as the staff. Only uh, four prisoners from Marquette have had to go to the hospital that have been positive. They're all doing well. They're all out of the hospital now. The facility also preemptively transferred prisoners that had serious underlying health conditions to uh, Dwayne Waters before contracting the virus because they wanted to protect them because they know, like with anything, those who have serious health conditions already are more prone to having a a harsher episode from coronavirus. So took those out before it started getting bad there. So we we did a lot to work preemptively to to help uh, the prisoners there and then the staff. And so just a big thank you to their team as well as all of those the staff that have volunteered to help get us through this. 
I think it's good to share that information. Just one, because it's good for people to know what's going on across the state. Two, to highlight just some really awesome people who step up in a very serious time to help. So thanks, Chris, for doing that. And I think we've covered enough today. So thanks for tuning in and make sure you tune in to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. All right. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. You can always follow the department on Facebook at MI Corrections and on Twitter at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOC FOA and the CFA account at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Field Days Podcast.